Welcome to Night of the Living Geeks. If you geek out over it, we've got a podcast. game will be played in Candlestick Park, the Battle of the Bay continues. At second base, so the Oakland A's take take Cypress and West Grand do. They're advising major injuries. We're attempting to get 1741. When we look back at 30 years of natural disasters in the Bay Area, um, let's just say he's the Oakland A's to my San Francisco Giants this time around. It's my brother, Seb. Seb, how's it going? It's, uh, it's, it's shake, rattle, and roll. It's, <laughs> it's going pretty good. Um, good. It's getting a little cooler up here in Sacramento. Um, Same here. I've been binge watching the new Ken Burns documentary about the history of country music, which oh. is surprisingly engrossing and delightful okay um, cool i've so heard about that it's been very cool um and uh just you know trucking along i think i talked about my in our last episode about a coloring poster from our childhood that man we managed to track down and i finally got the full scale color high resolution digital scan it is um, finally so i can have it in a life-size format and it's just i feel like i'm nine years old again it's so yeah. cool you know yeah and thank oh, you for my copy man. of it it brings back yeah. so many memories it's totally. unbelievable yeah how are you um i'm pretty good getting getting over a cold had we recorded um at the beginning of the week let's say i would have been much more miserable than i am now um i'm mm. doing better uh, mm-hmm. but it, it is that time of year. It's, you know, the school year, the weather's starting to cool off. Um, you know, unfortunately Perrin was down, uh, sick for a couple of days this week. Amber wasn't doing too well earlier today. Um, mm. you know, it's just, it's going around. So I think we're just kind of have a kind of mellow, restful weekend ahead. Do you think it's like a back to school kind of thing? Like all the kids are like sharing their germs and whatnot. Oh, for sure. Mm-hmm. for sure that it's without yeah. a doubt it, it literally is just that time of year and with two kids in school and a wife who's a teacher it is inevitable right that illness will uh will ravage this household as it were well man i hope you feel better uh you know what i am i am doing like i said i'm doing a lot better than i was i literally took tuesday as a sick day and i rarely take sick days at work Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. So by the time, I think by about the time Wednesday ended, I was like, ooh, I feel my energy picking back up. Mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So yeah, so it's it's doing good, but you know, 
we're just taking care of the whole family and, and seeing how's it, how it goes. Although I think uh, yeah. this weekend, the kids kind of have to make their final decisions on what they're going to be for Halloween. So we can oh. get costumes sorted out. Any spoiler alerts? What do you think the what do you think that might be? I'm not sure. I really I feel like they go back and forth just with the wind, basically. It's uh <laughs> you know, Perrin for a while was like, I'm gonna be Link from Zelda again and then it was like, No, I'm gonna be Pete the Cat and then it's like, I'm gonna be a dragon and I'm like, Oh or a Minecraft zombie at one point and I'm not sure what he's decided <laughs> on. <laughs> Sounds like how we used to be Oh, yeah, where we're deciding literally at the very last minute, like right. afternoon or, of. Or we're having mom, like, do costume changes in the middle of the day. You know, we Pretty change much. our mind after we already have something set up. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you'd, you'd, you'd think we would have gone into theater or something, right? Right, right. Well, uh, I tell you what, let's see what was going on. Previously on. Previously on. Previously on. If memory serves. And after our episode last month about cars, boy, we we got a lot of car history in our family sorted out thanks to mom and dad. Oh, man, totally. Um, uh, it was pretty exciting learning about um, the car that mom had, the Mercur, that we talked about in our last episode. Right. And I didn't know this story, and apparently you didn't know this story, but mom knew this story about where she heard about this type of car and decided that it was something she wanted to investigate. It sounds like our grandpa Paul had a Merkur, which is kind of mind blowing. Actually, I I have no memory of that really. I, you know what? Um, I have very vague memories. He had a, I think he had an earlier one that had the uh, the twin spoiler on the back. Oh, hatch, okay. If I mm-hmm. if I remember correctly. Okay. <clears throat> um. So yeah, that's that's apparently where that came from. And then when you guys all came over for my birthday. Mm-hmm. Um, dad was able to clear up a lot of the Lotus stories that I remember. Man, that kind of, yeah, you know, one of those stories kind of broke my heart. Um, it, it was the one about the, uh, the badges on the Lotus being in black color. Oh. Um, the story that, I mean, we talked about in our last episode and that I've always heard was that it was colored black as a limited edition in the memoriam of a Lotus team race car driver who had died, I think, yes. or person in the company. And, you know, dad kind of shared that roughly same story, but then also shared another story that he had heard where the, uh, I guess the main guy at Lotus was just offered a, uh, a special deal where he could get a whole bunch of Lotus badges a lot cheaper, but they just happened to be black. So he just kind of did it as a cost saving measure. Yeah. And, uh, and, and my heart kind of broke on the inside cause that was just, you know, it was such a great story up until that point, you know what I mean? Um, so I, I don't know which story is true. I really hope it's the one where it's like a special limited edition, like in memoriam kind of morning kind of situation. But I don't know. I don't know. Suffice it to say, I know which one I'd like to believe. Right. Totally. Um, but also um, the story of him uh, finding the Lotus. Um, mm-hmm. I think we got it about half right. Mm, um, okay. It wasn't as though it was, you know, abandoned and neglected at the back of this dealership in Los Gatos. Um, it actually, somebody had actually busted out one of the side windows to get at the stereo. Mm. And so it was well, in right. the back waiting to get that repaired. Yeah, totally. Um, which is like, I had no idea, but cool. Nice to know that it wasn't just, you know, languishing being just a, you know, couple year old car at that point. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then my 
memory of him basically wiping out and ending up halfway up a uh, a fence um, oh, was geez. was totally wrong except for the fact that i think i was right in that like a steering component uh not failed but got damaged so even that I was see. half right on oh jeez. Um, dad told us that he was actually driving a work friend to the san jose airport um and kind of you know showing off because it's a fun little sports car and took an off-ramp a little too fast and kind of hopped it up on the curb um effectively high centering the car a little bit and bent the steering knuckle in the process of doing that man you know what i mean honestly you know i'm glad he's okay and everything but you know if you had told me that one of one of our parents was driving a little too fast and gotten a gotten a fender bender i you know I would have put the money on mom, you know, she's kind of a lead foot compared to dad. You know what I mean? Oh, that so, is, de- that is definitely true. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, well, well, we love you, mom and dad. Thank you. Indeed. Indeed. And, you know, I've been begging, uh, for reviews and stuff. It looks like we finally got one. Seb, tell us about it. That's right. Yes. As listeners to our podcast will know, we usually end each episode with a, um, plea for people to review us on social media and we are happy to report that somebody, for the first time, has reviewed us on Apple iTunes. I guess it's not called iTunes anymore, but I still call it, still call it iTunes. Um, somebody, the, uh, somebody with the username California Archivist writes, quote, I really like this podcast. It's great. I can't wait to hear what Seb and Taylor are going to banter about each month. Why does it have to be a monthly podcast? Can't you guys hurry up and get the next one out? Great job, guys. And I think uh, California Archivist gave us five out of five stars. So well, that's we tip, excellent. We tip our hat to you, sir. Thank you so much. Now, we're, we're, we hit the big time. We, we did. We got a review. That's the hardest one to get. Once, it, once the first one's done, it's all downhill from there. That's, just, that's this right. Is great. That's right. Ugh. And and I just have to confirm that seeing as how you are an archivist working for the state of California, you didn't just write this Oh, th- this is definitely written by someone, not myself. Okay. I can, just can check. guarantee a hundred percent. I know just who check. actually is the author. Okay. Um, he lives, he works two offices down from my office. I well, work, thank so. you very much. Yes, definitely. Here, here. We, we really appreciate <sighs> it. Um, totally. Now that's not to say that if you listener go and give us a rating and a review, um, that we won't read it. We definitely will. Because um, we need that kind of validation in our lives. Exactly. Um, we can be found, of course, on Facebook, Twitter, Spotify, iTunes, um, uh, Tinder, Grinder. I know. I don't know. Not no? not, not oh. those last two. No. Oh, okay. No. I, my mistake. No. But in terms right. of reviews, uh, uh, Apple Podcast. Uh, I think you can do reviews on Spotify. I'm not sure. Definitely uh, uh, Stitcher. Uh, mm-hmm. You can do it there. Um, and, and let us know, you know, because I, I don't always think to double check and see before we record. Um, but we appreciate it very much. <laughs> Definitely. Um, and I'm happy to say lastly, uh, in terms of our, our previously on section is, is that after a little bump in the road a couple months ago, um, I think we are going to continue the research to try and, locate the earliest owners uh of my bus well this is wonderful i'm really excited um one of the things i was really 
happy to give you as a birthday present, of course, was the documentation from the Volkswagen factory about the manufacturer of your bus. Um, yeah, thank you. Was there any was, was there anything about that that was really exciting that you learned or? Um. Well, I know that when they stamp the plates that get riveted um, to the vehicles, um, the planned production date is not always necessarily the actual production date. Um, mm. So decoding it just from the plate, it was like, oh, this bus was built on November 17th, 1970. Mm -hmm. Cool. That's great. Um, when I went over the birth certificate you got for me, um, it actually was an entire week later. It was the 24th of November that it was actually produced. Okay. I gotcha. Um, everything else I kind of had known or expected. Um, what's nice is, you know, for like upholstery color and stuff, they, they, you know, write the exact color of it and the exact, uh, like numerical code for it. So if I ever wanted to go and get new seat covers that were the correct color or new door panels that, that were the correct color, I can use that as my source to go, okay, this is what I need to order from this company. And you know what? I was really, um, I know that I know that your bus had one point been purchased in I think the region of Lucas Valley in Marin County in like 1984, if I'm not yeah. mistaken. And you know, I know we're going to continue on with the research, but I'm really going to keep my fingers crossed. I'm going to really hope the pre previous owner was George Lucas. I have we have no I have no evidence of this, but um, I'm keeping my I'm, fingers crossed, man. Was was. Uh, I almost said Skinwalker Ranch. Boy, you can tell the stuff that I've been reading <laughs> lately. Was Skywalker Ranch even a thing uh, by 84 up there? I have no idea. I, You know, it was sometime in the mid-80s, I think, that they did that whole thing. But I'm, I, I really don't know the timeline. But I'm keeping my fingers crossed. And, you know, I, speaking of buses, th thank you so much for sharing the photos of our former childhood bus that recently got fully restored by its new owners. Yeah. Uh, it was really emotional to see those photos and... I've had so many happy memories in that vehicle, and now it's you know back looking better than I've ever seen it, and it's it's a it's 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 melancholy, but it's happy at the same time. You know what I mean? I totally um, get it. I totally yeah. get it. Yeah, it's it's amazing to see what um, having been under the knife and in the paint booth for the past two years has has done to that bus. It's it's right. unbelievable. Totally. Well, uh. I tell you what, man. Why don't we take a quick peek at a single story we almost had none mm. uh -oh. in the news. An ABC News Break brought to you by Budweiser Beer. Stay with us. The late edition is next. And um, just, I literally just saw the story today, um, is that the, the librarian, it was a librarian, so be proud, Seb, uh, who <laughs> coined the term surfing the internet wow. has been found. Really? Yes, and believe it or not, I actually found this article by way of a rather, I don't know what's the right word to call it, a rather salty surf blog. Okay. Um, and so there is, and I'm trying to get down to find her name, in upstate New York, in the Syracuse area. Um, okay. There is a uh, librarian her name is jean polly and mm. <clears throat> it says here if you've ever said surfing the web you've got polly to thank it was the title of her 1992 guide for a library journal about how to use what would become 
the web. Surfing the Internet, oh, cool. an introduction, was published in the Wilson Library Bulletin. Oh, nice. And I love stories she... like that. Oh, go ahead. No, 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 you're fine. Go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say I love stories like that because you can you can really hammer down the, the, the fact that, you know, there's a publication date. You know, it's kind of like locked in. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, that's cool. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it was neat because apparently she um, she had a uh, mouse pad that had a surfer okay. a wave and the phrase information surfing on it. And she mm-hmm. was like, that's my metaphor. It's hard. You need some skill. You mm-hmm. never know if there are going to be sharks or in this case, trolls. Right. Um, and it's kind of funny is that it at first she actually got some hate mail from surfers because they thought (laughs) she was equating their sport with something trivial and easy (laughs) which i thought was pretty funny geez i'd love to see her book i wonder like if they had gosh i'm trying to remember back to 92 and if we were online yet or not and if we i mean obviously it was aol our first time out i think yes but i mean browsers i mean i mean and, and I mean, I mean, search engines. I mean, the first search engines were like what Alta Vista. Uh, like... Yes, we were, we were, we were screaming across the net at fourteen point four uh, yeah. kilobits per second on uh, like Netscape Navigator. Right, right, yeah. Remember Mosaic? Oh yeah. Oh geez, that's oh, crazy. Yeah. Yeah. God, we could, we could probably almost do an episode on early internet. Yeah, totally. Uh, <sighs> But anyway, we'll have a link to that in the show notes if you want to read up more on that. That's um, it's a very interesting story that I didn't know anything about. This time on, if memory serves. We are looking back 30 years ago this month mm. at the Loma Prieta earthquake. Mm-hmm. It's kind of a switch up for us. I mean, we, we usually delve into topics that are fun and pop culture and this one, you know, it's important and there's a lot of interesting memories, I think, too. But, you know, you know, for all intents and purposes, it's a major natural disaster. So it's kind of a, a shift of gears, so to speak. Um, but, uh, geez, I mean, how do you do you just want to jump into this or what were some um, of your memories? Well, yeah, sure. I mean, it the Loma Prieta quake um, and, you know, people probably outside of the Bay Area would call it, you know, the San Francisco earthquake of 1989. Um yeah. But the the quake's epicenter was in the Loma Prieta area of the Santa Cruz Mountains. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> excuse me, along the San Andreas Fault um, at 5.04 p.m. on October yeah. 17th, 1989, uh, the ground just started having its way with itself. Um, for a surprisingly short quake, I think it was only 15 seconds worth of shaking. Mm. Um, it did a tremendous amount of damage and in some ways changed the landscape of the Bay area. Mm. Now I was in eighth grade, um, at that time. In fact, I remember, um, I had sat down in the living room and I was starting to do my math homework as the world series, um, between the Oakland A's and the San Francisco giants um, you know, the Battle of the Bay, everybody in the Bay Area was excited for this, was getting underway at Candlestick Park. Um, mm-hmm. and, and you heard a bit of that at the very beginning of the episode. And I remember sitting down, starting to do the math homework, and the picture uh, on the TV went out like a moment before I felt the shaking. Okay. Which, when if you were to look at a map of the Bay Area, 
and just draw straight lines between the epicenter candlestick park and then the epicenter and our house um i would i would say that we were closer to the epicenter than candlestick park was but i think because of the fact of the fault line heading north you know, up to San Francisco rather than having to kind of radiate out through the rest of the mountains and all the all the solid uh, rock of the South Bay. Um, it actually the wave got to Candlestick before it got to San Jose. Oh, that's interesting. Um, huh. I, I technically don't really have any science to back that up. That's just kind of how I look at it and the timing of things. Yeah. Um, and I, I did exactly what they tell you not to do. I oh. ran outside. Oh. I didn't get in a doorway. I didn't get under a table. I literally right. ran out into the front yard, um, yep. standing right in the middle of our walkway down to the sidewalk. Um, mm-hmm. And of course, it was really dumb for me to do that because on our side of the street, we have the power lines, mm-hmm. which could have easily yeah. come down. That's a good point. I remember... Um, as I'm standing there, and this is, think about this, this is 15 seconds of shaking, um, and I have so many memories packed into this very short period of time. I remember looking down at my feet at one point, mm-hmm. and it, it literally looked in my mind. I mean, I can't say that there were actual, like, circles around mm-hmm. my feet. Mm-hmm. Maybe it was just the ground and myself all vibrating at the same time. But it really mm-hmm. looked like there were almost these kind of like radial, like patterns, Whoa. you know, at my feet. It, it was weird. Huh. Again, I think that was just my mind kind <laughs> of interpreting everything. But, yeah. but what <clears throat> objectively was definitely happening is I looked up and we had um, our sixty-seven twenty-one window parked on the street and Dad's yeah. Lotus. Yeah. Um, now Dad would never set the parking brake on the Lotus. Uh-huh. For whatever reason, I don't remember why. I don't know if like one of the brake pads would stick or something. And I watched as the Lotus would start to roll back and then roll mm. forward toward the bus again and then roll back oh, and roll forward mm-hmm. toward the bus again. And I was like, oh, my God, like, what is going on? Yeah. Now, what about you? Where were you when the quake hit? So I was... Yes, I was I was actually in the backyard. Um, I was raking leaves probably for, you know, uh, allowance or chores or something mm-hmm. like this. Um, my my memory is that I had finished raking the leaves on the, the tree that we used to have in the backyard. I can't remember what species of tree it was. It's since been cut down. We always called it the, the dingleberry tree because it would produce these seed pods that were like these perfect spike balls that would, of course, you know, stab right into the flesh of your feet if you went outside at the wrong time of year without shoes on that's for sure um and the earthquake uh of course uh by the time it was all over i realized that a whole new crop of leaves had fallen out of the tree so all of my work had to be redone eventually um but you know i uh, i i also did the the quite incorrect thing um as well uh you know Thinking that, of course, I need to run into the front yard, um, I decided to run into the front yard. But instead of maybe going through the side yard, I actually went through the house while the shaking was going on. Um, I was in the kitchen when the the infamous – the only major form of damage that our, our, our family sustained was, I believe, a bag of flour that fell off the top of the refrigerator perhaps. 
Um, yeah. And actually, I was I was actually in the kitchen when it fell. I, I witnessed it. Um, uh, luckily, got into the front yard without any more serious damage happening. Um, and yeah, I, I assume we were then both in the front yard waiting for, I guess, mom to get home from work, really. Um, That's right, because dad, uh, dad was home. Obviously, we yeah. were home. And mm-hmm. mom, I think, was just getting ready to leave work when the quake struck. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, we had the Mercur at the time. And in fact, I seem to remember mom thinking when it first hit, um, that coworkers were playing a joke on her, that they had snuck up and were shaking her car. Yeah. 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 I definitely remember her talking about on the drive home, her seeing like the windows of buildings and like the, whenever there'd be an aftershock, there'd be like rippling that you could see in the glass of the the window panes almost like waves of water sort of, you know, yeah. I mean, which is kind of trippy to think about. Um, it is. It's very chilling. And in fact, I've got, um, I've got four YouTube links that I'll also put in the show notes. Um, I, I kind of use these as uh, refreshers for myself and also pulled some audio from them that we'll share during the episode. But yes, in, in at least one of them, um, mm-hmm. you see an aftershock and I think it's in downtown San Jose and you're just watching these big panes of glass, just like water, just rippling. And it's um, awe-inspiring and terrifying all at the same time. Right. Yeah. I, it, it's interesting because the, the, the biggest mm, emotional reaction or memory that I have of the quake to this day was actually a little bit later in that afternoon or evening. Um, I had recently, mom and dad had recently purchased for me a, a new Lego set. Mm-hmm. Um, I believe it was called the Caribbean Clipper. This was for the famous pirate ship line, uh, Legos. Uh, this was, I think, set number 6274. Of course, growing up, you know, as kids, our, our Lego sets usually came in three different varieties. There were the, the outer space themed ones, and you had ones that were themed like medieval castles. And then, of course, you had modern day cities with like mm-hmm. gas stations and stuff. And this was kind of like the big rollout of a fourth I guess, universe or world, which was like, you know, pirates and the Caribbean and stuff like this. And I had this beautiful, huge Lego set that was basically a huge pirate ship with blue and white sails. And at that time, it was on our, I believe, on our mantelpiece or on top of the television cabinet. Um, and I remember, luckily, it survived the quake fine. It didn't fall down and break or anything like that. But I remember that once mom got home from work, um, she thought that there was the possibility of an aftershock. Um, well, and there were might, some aftershocks, well, right? For sure. she, at least an aftershock that might have been severe enough that there would have been sufficient damage that p- other people in the neighborhood's houses may have been damaged and would have needed to spend the night in our living room. And so she was really adamant that I needed to get the Lego ship out of the living room to make additional room for these refugees. Now, I, I don't want to sound too jokey because, you know, in doing some research for tonight's episode, there were about... 13,000 folks that did become homeless, at least temporarily due to the earthquake. But I was so angry at mom on the inside for this. But I mean, for one thing, I couldn't understand why an aftershock would render all of our neighbors homeless, but our house would still be fine enough that people could live in it. It was just this really weird thing. So um, I don't know. I mean, you know, not I I don't want to digress too much, but just... um, the thing about that Lego set or that line, it was the first Lego set where the minifigures had facial expressions other than the goofy smile face that they always had. Oh, no kidding. This one, you started to see eye patches and beards. And as a kid, I was shocked by this. I mean, I wasn't really off put by it, but it was something very different. Mm-hmm. And Lego stuff today, you can find 
every type of facial expression known to man on these yeah. figures. And whenever I see a, a Lego figure that doesn't have just the dopey grin, I almost get like a visceral kind of anger. Like, I just feel that like, you know, that's not how it was when I was a kid. You know what I mean? And mm-hmm. I don't know. Did you have a favorite of the three Lego worlds? Like, I know I'm really getting off base, but how often do we get a chance to talk about Lego on the show? And it's so good uh, to us. Pretty much any time we want to. Um, okay. <laughs> I mean, I we, a... we, I, 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 for me, I think it was a, it was a toss up between the space version and the city version. That's maybe kind space, of what I was going to say. Yeah. Maybe I think space by a nose just a little bit, you know? Yeah. Space definitely um, had some really neat stuff and I know it had some really neat baseboards. Yeah, um, because they had kind of like you know like a rocky lunar surface one mm-hmm, you could mm-hmm. get. Um, you know, obviously, I was always a sucker for the city stuff. Like, I I mm-hmm. genuinely liked. Oh, like I'm gonna build a gas station because this is cool. <laughs> you know, this yeah. is that was just kind of my bread and butter. Um, yeah, <clears throat> but yeah, that's that's kind of what I was gonna say. Is that it was kind of kind of a toss up between city and space for me. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but um. Getting back to the quake itself, I, we actually, re, we really were lucky. We literally lost a bag of flour and I think we got maybe a couple of cracks in the plaster, but no damage mm. to the foundation. Our chimney didn't come down. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, we, we got out, we didn't, we didn't lose any windows, mm-hmm. uh, anything like that. No, no precious, um, knickknacks, no Lego, no, no Lego pirate ships fell off and broke into a million pieces. Right. Um, and in our neighborhood, I mean, there were people who lost chimneys. Um, I don't think anybody had like walls come down or anything big like that. I think really yeah, a chimney and maybe a little bit of roof damage from that was the worst, um, at least that I can remember in our neighborhood. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I, I, I was doing a little, little bit of research um, just to get you know some facts on, on the show. Um, I think it was 7.1 on the Richter scale. Yeah. Um, it looks like there was approximately $5 billion in property damage. Of course, this is 1989 dollars. Um, and then here's where I get here's where I think it gets kind of interesting. There were 62 deaths mm-hmm. and about 3,200 um, injuries. Okay. And most of the deaths uh, were up in Alameda County, 42 deaths, and they had 349 injuries. But get this, Santa Clara County, only one death, but 1,305 injuries. So it's huh. almost – it's, it's very asymmetrical how our county – very few deaths, but we were like more than double the closest other county in terms of injuries, which it's like really kind of interesting. I wish I could know why that was. You know what I mean? Yeah. But, I don't um, know if it's just like stuff falling off walls. Yeah, and people yeah, I don't being know. close to it. Oh, you know that picture of grandma fell off the wall and hit me on the head. Yeah, totally. You know, or whatever. That is interesting, and I and I know that the, um, you know, the vast majority of of the deaths up in Alameda County that was that was up in Oakland where the Cypress Freeway collapsed. Right. Yeah. Um, it was a double decker freeway, um, and so obviously you can imagine the people on the lower deck, uh, when the top deck comes down, didn't do so well. Yeah, it's it's really stunning. I mean, for one hand, it was actually kind of a blessing because from what I read, the traffic on that part of the, the 880 freeway was, for that time of day at least, significantly lower because of the World Series game. Most yeah. people were, you know, glued to the television or the radio and the traffic was kind of light. So it's actually kind of crazy when you think about it. Um, 
I know I didn't, unfortunately, I didn't put this in my show notes, but um, I just wanted to mention really quickly, now that we're on the topic of the Cypress Freeway, um, one of the things I was thinking about for tonight's episode were what were like some of the the visual images that stick in my mind to this day from all of the all of the news coverage and all of the oh, photographs yeah. and stuff. And of course, that freeway collapse was really shocking. But there was one one image that, that sticks in my mind that when I did a little bit of research for tonight's episode, I thought would be super easy to figure out. And it's become the biggest mystery and puzzle that just drives me crazy. Um, if you can imagine in your mind's eye the, the double-decker freeway with all of the top layers smashed down onto the bottom layer, um, uh, in part because the ground, I think, was a lot of like landfill, like reclaimed land, that part of the, the, the East Bay. Um, I'm not so but, sure about there. I know the Marina District in San Francisco Yeah, is, yeah. is um, basically landfill. Right, right. Um, there was one tiny section of uh, of that double-decker freeway that actually didn't collapse. Yes. And directly under that bit was a um, a big rig truck with a trailer. And it was the, the bit of the freeway that didn't collapse was almost exactly as long as the trailer was long, mm-hmm. like the mm-hmm. truck trailer. I know exactly what you're talking about. Do you know what I'm talking about? I do. Okay, so it was like, I think when there was a lot of... Um, news coverage like video from news helicopters or even i think the goodyear blimp was in town you know what i mean mm-hmm. a lot of times they would focus in on this one really crazy scene of all this destruction and then this one truck that survived and, and i'm thinking to myself you know what i'm gonna google it because i'm sure whoever was driving this truck that person must have ended up on donahue or <laughs> you know released like a like a book or because it's like it's so miraculous that this one vehicle the upper level of the structure didn't collapse on it when it collapsed all over the place and smushed all these other cars and stuff. Mm -hmm. And like I did a little bit of research and there's all these like uh, California highway patrol um, official reports available online. Mm -hmm. And and there's all this information about that specific incident. It's so weird because it's like every car that got involved in that bit of the freeway, they did a write up on like what, what the make and model was, who was driving it interviews with the people if any of them survived but they only put um the the person's initials so i know the person who was born in california on february 20th 1942 his initials were em i know he was driving a 1980 freightliner truck and there's all this incredible story interviews with him where he's talking about how um he had just been passed by a yellow 1974 volkswagen beetle um and then the everything started falling down he said that it looked like stuff was falling up front because I could see it falling one section at a time before it got to me. I just leaned over in the cab and said goodbye because I knew I was dead. And then it's like, like he got saved. It didn't crush him. And then he got out and tried to like see if he could help the people in the beetle. And it's this like com- completely compelling story and an amazing visual. And it's like, I mean, maybe he just didn't want to, you know, dwell on that part of his life maybe he who knows i mean i don't know it's like this big mystery so it just kind of i don't know kind of blew me away but do you remember that image or oh yeah very well do you really? in fact I, I i think if you spend the time to go through literally all the youtube links that i've got mm. for the show and, and one of them is is long i mean it's admittedly it's it's almost an hour worth of like um abc news national coverage 
Um, mm. I'm, I'm sure it's in there somewhere. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> um, in fact, do you, do you want to, do you want to take a quick listen to that? Uh, yeah. Uh, that ABC, I, I, I just trimmed about three minutes worth of, um, the opening. Let's take a listen to that. Yeah. Let's take a listen to that real quick here. We interrupt our regular program schedule to bring you a special report from ABC News. I'm Ted Koppel. There has been a rather strong earthquake in Northern California, so strong, in fact, that it has, among other things, knocked out all the power uh, or much of the power at Candlestick Park, where the third game of the World Series was being played. But in the overall scheme of things, that may be the very least of things that has happened today. You can see some video there. I gather that's live video of Candlestick Park. And we, we are feeling a shock right now. And that shaking in your picture is being amplified by the uh, tremor that has just gone through the top of the stadium. And we are live. They're taking the bases off. Uh, 841 Eastern, 541. And we just felt it out here. We're at ground level. This is a live shot from our affiliate, our owned and operated station in San Francisco, KGO. And you can see that there are at least two major fires that seem to be in progress there. Let me just explain to you that uh, what we're doing here is we are listening in on the broadcast of our affiliate in San Francisco, KGO, because a great deal of the information that is coming is more readily accessible to them than it is to us. Uh, And they have reporters reporting live from around the entire Bay Area region. It's been a frightening scene here. As you can see just below me is where this crack in the Bay Bridge occurred, a 50-foot section. You see down there below the two cars, two cars that were on the upper deck when the bridge collapsed. They fell below. You can see the fire down past me. Uh, What has happened is that the natural gas lines have ruptured, and that is what has caused that fire. The water lines have ruptured. There is no water coming out of the fire hydrants. People are running into this building that Randy's now showing you, and they are looking for people. They're asking for people to come by. They're saying that people are still trapped in there. We were down at two, number two Cervantes. Another building like this one had collapsed. I was had two deaths confirmed there. Uh, we'll go back to the Marina District. As we told you earlier, this is obviously an area that has been very hard hit. Uh, fire crews uh, coming into this, this inferno as uh, apartment buildings collapsed. Remember, the Marina District uh, was filled for... Uh, uh, is landfill and therefore a number of the very expensive apartments and townhouses in this area have collapsed fire burning unchecked uh, they're trying uh, it's been very difficult there have been some injuries it appears uh, perhaps more panic than anything else as they try to evacuate them from the homes but the fire burns on again you see the marina district uh, the jefferson divisadero area where these uh, these very expensive buildings have collapsed and the fire continues as the San Francisco Fire Department tries to fight it. This was, this was a four-story building and that's the kind of problem they are trying to evacuate people who may have been inside. A lot of people at home at that time or during the commute hour as uh, the earthquake struck at uh, 5.04 uh, this afternoon in Northern California. Man, that... Mm. There's Chilling. just something about that uh, teletype sound and the special report uh, 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 opening that you just, I feel like you just don't get that anymore. Right, right, right. Um, and it's crazy because, you know, on, on the national news, they were they were doing so much. They, they didn't have people on the ground. They were basically just pulling the KGO feed 
mm-hmm. uh, from the Bay Area. So they, they would defer to a lot of the local news um, anyway as it was happening. And, and we ourselves, like right after it happened, I mean, we lost power for a good part of the night. Um, and I, I remember, we, you know, we, obviously we couldn't watch TV. I remember I busted out my Walkman and had mm-hmm. tuned in one of the AM talk stations um, mm. probably KGO. It might've been KCBS. I'm not sure which I might've gone between the two for all I know, um, to get coverage mm-hmm. and to find out what was going on. And I, I know we spent a good part of the evening just in the front yard and, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. talking with neighbors who walked by and just kind of getting stories and, and sharing, um, you know, the news that we were hearing and stuff like that. Now, of course, the nation's attention at that time was kind of focused on the candlestick park. Uh, just out of curiosity, did you at any point before Candlestick got torn down, did you ever go to any events there? Or... I have never been to Candlestick. Really? Yeah. Wow. I'm, you know, I'm not I've, a big I've, sports guy. I know, I know, but I, I've only been twice myself, so I really can't like you know claim that I was like really intimately familiar with it either. But um, wow, yeah, um, yeah. I, I guess we weren't really into baseball. I mean, I guess it was big because it was the World Series and all. It know? was. It was, and, um, and it was local teams. Local teams. And it's weird because it's like when you think about the A's, it's like I can think of Conseco, McGuire, LaRusa. But it's like if somebody said to me, like, who is a member of the 89 Giants? I, I couldn't help you. I couldn't think of a single uh, name associated with that see. team. Will Clark. <laughs> was Will, Oh, yeah. It was I guess Will Clark was on it. And yeah. uh, it was it was a one man team. Apparently it was just yeah, yeah, clearly it was, it was a one man team. That's right, kind of embarrassing because, you know, I was you, personally you every for the Giants. Um, your, yeah, they lost miserably. Um, I was. I remember a lot of people having weird baseball hats where it was like split down the middle, and one yes. side said A's and one side said Giants. Yes, you know oh, what I, I mean? remember those very well. Yeah, yeah. Oh my I don't gosh. see those anymore, but it's like, yeah, that was a big thing. I remember back then. You know, you want to know a, a really weird kind of twisted uh, synchronicity of history? Oh, what do you got? This? The only other time that a World Series was delayed. Okay. Um was in 1911 okay right it was a six day rain delay between games three and four between the philadelphia athletics and the new york giants oh creepy yeah wow so basically if the a's and the giants ever play themselves again in the world series there's gonna be yeah it's like an asteroid's gonna hit or dinosaurs or something yeah yeah exactly now one thing you put in our show notes really really struck a memory with me because it was of a certain um certain uh almost visual landmark in santa cruz impacted by the earthquake Um, what was that about so as you drive from the bay area over highway 17 to santa cruz just as you start getting like you kind of come around a corner and you're getting right up to the interchange with highway one if you're going to take that or head into downtown Santa Cruz, you can see a um, big church partway up a hill and it's got a, you know, nice tall steeple on it. Um, Mm -hmm. It's just one of those visual landmarks coming into Santa Cruz that you see every single time you take that route. Um, Santa Cruz got hit pretty hard by the 89 quake, um, partially because Loma Prieta is right there. Uh, in the mountains. And so downtown Santa Cruz saw some uh, really, really heavy damage. 
there yeah. were some buildings that just completely collapsed. Um, lots and lots of damage. Um, and one of the things that came down was this big church steeple. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, the, the main body of the church survived. Um, I'm sure it yeah. had some damage, obviously, but the main body of it survived, but the steeple came tumbling down. <clears throat> yeah. And it was, boy, I, I, I'd say at least, at least a couple of years, um, after that, where we would come into Santa Cruz. Cause you, again, if you think back to our, our surf culture episode from last July, um, mm-hmm. this 89, 90, 91, this is kind of prime time for us kind of being into this culture and wanting to come to Santa Cruz a lot. Um, mm-hmm. and so coming into town and you could still see the church, but the steeple is, you know, it's, it's like the church just got a really bad haircut, just clipped right off the top there. And I remember once that steeple was reconstructed and I'm not a particularly religious person myself. It was like, Oh my gosh, it's back. Oh, they did it. Yeah. But, but, but it's like half as tall. Right. If you know, I, I don't have a concrete story listing that detail unless you do. Um, Well, no, I just, it's cause it's like every time I drive to Santa Cruz, I see that church every time at the certain, the same rise on 17 you're talking about. And every time I see it, the first thing I always think about in my mind was how before the 89 earthquake, that steeple was like so much taller. It's this really weird, like visual memory kind of thing, you know? Hmm. Um, I, I honestly, uh, I would have to see pictures to, to know okay. for sure. I wouldn't be surprised if they built it, you know, rebuilt it smaller. Yeah. You know, yeah. that wouldn't surprise me one bit. One other thing I remember speaking of Santa Cruz is that going over the summit, along highway 17 before the quake, the sign right at the summit um, Mm -hmm. would say that the elevation was 1,808 feet. Right. After the earthquake, um, the sign got revised. It was 1,800 feet. Exactly. Oh, crazy. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, You're totally right. Sanders got hit so hard. And some of the stuff I was reading online was just so heart wrenching, I guess. Some of the some of the buildings that collapsed where there were fatalities, um, you know, pe- friends and coworkers that were searching through the rubble trying to find survivors or whatnot. I guess that once they got to be nighttime, the police authorities, you know, thought it was too dangerous to continue, and a lot of the the friends and, and family were like, "No, we're going to continue." And um, the police actually like arrested a lot of the searchers and rescuers um, because they were refused to leave the, uh, the, the, you know, collapse site or whatever like that. So it's really kind of heart wrenching when you think about it. But yeah, man. That, that is that that's rough. Cause I, I know that I'd be like, you know, screw you. I've got to find, I've got to find my family. I've got to find my loved ones. I've got to find my friends. Yeah. Don't, don't tell me to clear out if, if they're in here somewhere, Totally. you know, but at the same time, I, I, I recognize that, you know, those first responders have a, a commitment to saving lives and, you know, keeping the public that, you know, for sure is alive safe. Yeah. Yeah. One of my um, big memories, uh, some of the the changes in San Francisco. um, One thing was there was a really ugly, I think it was interstate 480, maybe Um, it went through downtown San Francisco. And there's a really iconic um, Vista along market street where you can look down looking east and see the um the ferry building right and yeah. uh I, I guess for maybe that during the 70s and 80s for the most of that time there was an elevated freeway that kind of 
ran right in front of the ferry building. So it was right uh, down the Embarcadero there. Kind of an eyesore, right? And um, you know, after the earthquake, you know, with the, all the damage and whatnot, they eventually uh, demolished that. Um, and then it was kind of crazy because um, I remember as a kid growing up, every time we went to San Francisco, seeing huge chain link fences surrounding um, San Francisco City Hall, which is a beautiful structure. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it had been going undergoing you know seismic retrofit for so long, and it was such an expensive process. It's funny because um, it wasn't until I was a sophomore at the University of San Francisco in 1999 that they actually, um, ten years after the earthquake, that they you know reopened it so to speak and took that chain link fence down. And I, I can remember going down there from you know after class one day or something um, just to walk through it because you know for most of my life up until that point it had been this beautiful building that was basically abandoned and surrounded by this like chain link fence, you know, mm-hmm. and really neat place. They filmed some of um, Raiders of the Lost Ark on the inside of that building. And it was just beautiful to see what they had done with the full restoration. It was pretty impressive. Um, pretty cool. Yeah, definitely. I mean, <clears throat> it is, I don't know, as, as, as a Bay area native, I look at how long it, has taken and how long it took for some of this seismic retrofit to get completed. And, and I, and I look at how long it took for some of these, you know, bits of roadway to be rebuilt or replaced or taken down. Um, and, and they weren't short projects. They were all very long involved projects. Um, and then I look at other, other parts of the country, I look at other parts of the state, um, uh-huh. uh, let alone other parts of the country or other parts of the world where you have a large earthquake and you have some of your infrastructure just destroyed. Um, and I, and I feel like everywhere except the Bay area gets their crap fixed quickly. Oh, <laughs> I feel like, yeah, yeah like I mean, you were saying it took, you know, 10 years yeah. to get city hall back into shape. I don't remember how long it took to get that section of the Bay bridge. Mm-hmm. That dropped, mm-hmm. fixed, but I know that that was obviously a high priority because it's a heavily traveled area. Um, yeah. But then even to replace a section of the Bay Bridge, yeah. um, because they couldn't seismically retrofit it, they're like, we, we've got to build a whole new section. That only got done a few years ago. Yeah, it's it's kind of crazy. Yeah, infrastructure in the Bay Area, I mean, heck, I mean, I think they just announced that, you know, Bart's going to finally make it to downtown San Jose in like 2030 or something like that. You know what I mean? Good Lord. Yeah. So it's like, you know, it's like, okay, well, you know, better late than never, I guess. Now, one one thing I really wanted to ask you, how do you feel? I, I've always felt that different parts of America, different regions are kind of more or less well known for different types of natural disasters. Mm-hmm. Sure. How, how do you know? Of course, you know, the West, you got earthquakes, although I guess you could almost say these days, like, fires are probably more deadly or more numerous, at least, or more yeah, news. that's for sure. But, I mean, if you think about, like, the Pacific Northwest or Hawaii, they got volcanoes, right? You know? Mm-hmm. Um, Midwest, you got tornadoes, okay? Mm-hmm. You got blizzards up in the north, and then, like, on the East Coast and the Gulf Coast, you got hurricanes, so, like, do you feel, I mean, it's almost like inevitable that you're going to live somewhere where there's some type of natural disaster. But do you have any sort of feeling like, because um, personally, I really, I guess in part because I've never um, been directly impacted by an earthquake in a super negative way. 
um, at least in terms of the home I lived in or my immediate family or friends being impacted. Mm-hmm. Like I've never really had a like a problem with earthquakes or been scared of them. But like, oh. would you rather like have to deal with earthquakes versus t- tornadoes or like what's your feeling on this matter? Um, Boy, well, you know, I've never experienced a tornado, so I don't feel like I can accurately answer that. I mean, yes, yeah. I've, I'm sure I'm a weather nerd and I've watched lots of, you know, storm chaser type stuff. Yeah. Um, so I obviously I've seen the damage and the destruction that a tornado can do. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I've often I, I mean, I thought about this question, you know, even as a kid, I've thought about this question um, because frankly, you know, earthquakes would terrify me. Right. You, you technically really can't quite predict them, um, not in like a long term sense, um, or even you know in a matter of hours. I would mm-hmm. say like you can. You're like, oh, here's here's a big storm system coming. Oh, we're looking at the radar returns. Yeah, tornadoes may develop. Oh no, tornadoes are definitely developing. You know, you kind of get a little bit of warning with it, despite mm-hmm. the the fact that they can be still incredibly unpredictable. Mm. Um, with earthquakes, I mean, you don't really get any significant warning. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and for me, that always terrified me. I, I hated mm. the idea of mm. being like, Oh God, was that an earthquake? Oh, mm-hmm. no, that was a truck mm-hmm. going by, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. yeah. I've, I've had that before. I mean, even, even at work, you know, in, just within the past, you know, six months or a year or something, there have been times where it was like. There, there is something about how an earthquake propagates mm-hmm. through the ground that feels just a little bit different than anything else. Right. Um, and I, and I'll, I'll be honest, I, I'm not really up on the science of it. I understand that there's something called P waves and S waves. Mm-hmm. Um, and somebody out there who probably knows more can probably hop on Twitter and totally take me to town and be like, no, that's not actually <laughs> how it works, blah, blah, blah. Um, <laughs> but there is like this, this like initial propagation wave and it, and it's mm-hmm. very, uh, low. It's like pre shaking mm-hmm. where there's just this, I don't know. It, it, it's that kind of sense that kind of just makes you stop. It's very, uh, 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 primal. It's very, mm-hmm. uh, feral and, and the hair on the back of your neck kind of stands up and you go, Oh, what is that? Mm-hmm. You know? Mm-hmm. And it may be yeah. just moments like mere moments before the actual like shaking wave behind it, uh, yeah. rolls through. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, there is almost kind of like a sixth sense to it where you get this feeling and you're like, Oh, something, something just changed. And then all Mm. of a sudden you hear, you know, your plates shaking or your doors rattling or, or, you know, God forbid, even worse, you know, things Mm. really rocking and rolling and stuff flying off the walls. Um, so to take the very, 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 very long way to answer (laughs) your question, I think even with all that coming at it now as an adult with a family, Mm -hmm all that kind of stuff. Um, and living where I live now, I, which is still in the Bay area, but we're a bit more removed from the San Uh Andreas fault. Um, not to say Uh that we don't have dangerous faults nearby. Um, I think I'm still more okay with an earthquake than I'd say a tornado Uh or a hurricane or, you know, 
hopefully we're at least in urban enough area we don't have to worry too much about wildfires maybe just wildfire smoke yeah you know i yeah i think i'm i'm really kind of okay with earthquakes i mean i would love to see a volcano once in my life um i <laughs> from a I would safe actually, distance let me say yeah from a safe distance i i would love to see or i would love to actually um go through not go through but like have a hurricane like i would love to be in florida when a hurricane came through and i know that sounds really dumb but, but you know, Grandma Jerry used to talk about those all the time, and I'd love to at least see what it's like. Um, I know that's a stupid thing to say, but the, I, what I would really love to see is the eye of a hurricane. I've seen oh. footage online and on TV of mm. you know weather airplanes that have flown into eyes of hurricanes, and it's some of the most compelling natural footage I've ever seen. It's just breathtaking. It's so otherworldly, the image of it. Um I mean, it's kind of cool how they can have, I think a lot of times these days they have like, at least I think in places like Japan where they seem to really have their act together, like um, a lot of like cell phone uh, warnings where you might get, you know, the the earthquake goes off in one place and then there's like, you'll get a five or 10 seconds head up from like Mm -hmm. a special alert on a cell phone or something. Yeah. Which is kind of cool, actually. Um, You know, I I know a couple of years ago, uh, President Trump did this weird thing where he like sent a text message to everybody in the country as a test of some sort of cell phone warning thing. And yeah, I don't know if I felt happy or sad, but my cell phone is so old that I wasn't able to receive a text message from Trump. Um, and you know, full disclosure, I mean, I feel bad saying this, but I have no, I have nothing. I have no, um, batteries for a flashlight or a radio or any sort of emergency kit or nothing. I'm, I'm like the most unprepared Californian in terms of natural disaster or anything like that, which is really bad to say, you know, I hate to say it, you know, yeah, I mean? we should, should work on that because, you know, I mean, a lot of times you can get just a basic like preparedness backpack. Yeah. Um, that's kind of ready to go. Um, now, I don't know. I mean, being up in Sacramento, do you really have faults? I felt earthquakes up here. I felt, well, I'm I mean, sure I felt, you felt earthquakes, earthquakes, but I mean, you know, if the San Andreas rips one. Am I really going to get, is Sacramento really going to get massively destroyed? I mean, I, I don't <clears> think so, maybe. Um, I mean, but but that being said, I mean, my, my disaster recovery plan at this point is to eat at drive throughs until the grocery stores reopen. <laughs> you know what I mean? So it's not exactly the, uh, you know, the, uh, the gold standard for uh, disaster recovery, but, um, fair, fair is now, do you, do you have literally plotted out? It's like, well, I'm going to do McDonald's that first night and then, you know, <laughs> like, just change it up. I'm going to go down to the Wendy's or is it yeah, like, look, no, just whatever's open. Yeah. Whatever's open. Okay, you know, it's, it's a Sunday. I'm going to miss the Chick-fil-A, I guess. But, you know, <laughs> now one, one, one thing you did mention that I, I, I'd love to circle back to is, is um, short term earthquake prediction. And of course, how that's really, you know, science really hasn't gotten to that point yet. Yeah. Um, but I do. I, I would feel remiss not mentioning uh, a, a guy who's kind of a local hero to me in terms of this, the story of the 1989 earthquake. Right. Uh, we'll, we'll, I'll put a link to this so people can check it out too. Cause this, this, I looked at this and I'm like, okay, this is really kind of interesting. James Berkland, who actually passed away a couple of years ago. He was a county geologist for Santa Clara County from 73 to 94. And here's a guy who, I guess he was a bit of a maverick, kind of a, kind of an unusual character. Um, he was a professional and whatnot, but apparently he, you know, actually tried to make a stab at short-term earthquake prediction um, with varying degrees of success. 
Um, but when it came to the 1989 earthquake, um, he actually relied upon some kind of unusual data sets, uh, including, amongst other things, elevated or supposedly elevated reports of uh, family pets that had run away that were reported in newspaper lost and found ads, mm-hmm. um, as well as data relating to, I guess, the phases of the moon. But anyway, um, on Friday, October 13th, 1989, just four days before the quake, um, Berkland had made a prediction, a short-term earthquake prediction, that he actually managed to get published in the Gilroy Dispatch newspaper. And if I could quote a little bit, uh, he wrote, or the uh, title of the article is, Is World Series Quake Coming? And it says, While the Bay Area is rumbling with excitement over the first ever Bay Bridge World Series, the Earth may be putting on a show. A county geologist is predicting an earthquake to hit the Bay Area anytime from tomorrow to the 21st of October. It will be the, quote, World Series quake, according to Santa Clara County geologist Jim Berkland. The trembler, he predicts, could be anywhere from 3.5 to 6 on the Richter scale. Berkland is basing his prediction on the unusual gravitational pull of the moon and Earth. So here's a guy. He's, he's, he's making a prediction, which actually is rather prescient. And he gets it published in the newspaper, so there's no question that he actually did predict it before the quake. And apparently he's trying to get the word out to potentially, you'd think, maybe help some folks. Mm-hmm. And he later went on to claim that government officials actually told him – he basically got reprimanded for making this prediction and was suspended for a couple months from his job. And a lot of other scientists apparently raked him over the coals, going so far as to call him a crank and a clown – and you know what? I mean, it's it's funny because, you know, if you have someone making a short-term prediction about a blizzard or an earthquake, or not an earthquake, but a tornado or a hurricane, um, you know, people take it, you know, they, they, they take it, they take notice. But, I mean, when you have a scientist make a short-term earthquake prediction, it's almost like, um, you know, you, you treat him like a medieval witch or something like that. You know what I mean? And Yeah. Um, He's sort of a little hero of mine. I mean, he's definitely deceased now, so he, I mean, he really can't help me out with future predictions. But you know, if he was still around and he told me, you know, hey, don't you know, don't get on this freeway on this day, I probably would think pretty seriously about it. Actually, you know what I mean? Um, I totally get it. I mean, that yeah. is one of those things where, yeah, it, the fact that he's looking at all these different data sets that it doesn't seem like anybody else is looking at. Um, I yeah. totally admire, um, like I said, it's a really kind of fascinating read, uh, that yeah. bit that you highlighted there that we'll have linked in the show notes. Um, I encourage people to check it out. Um, because you're right. I mean, we should always be prepared, uh, in the Bay area, in California for a severe earthquake. We should always mm. have that kind of ready to go. And, and I'm sure not all of us do. I mean, We've got some stuff, you know, I've definitely got some radios, um, you know, we're definitely good on flashlights and we've got some food stocks. Um, but could it be better? Absolutely. It could. Um, and have your kids been through an earthquake and how do they feel? Do they, are they scared of them or, you know, honestly, no. Um, oh my God. <clears throat> the, the one quake that I remember us having in this house um was after the kids had already gone to bed right 
It was a small one uh, just up northeast of us here on the, I think it's called the Greenville Fault. Okay. Um, and I was home. I was sitting there watching TV. You know, there was a definite shaking and a rattling and, you know, nothing dramatic. It was just like, oh, that was definitely an earthquake. Okay. Right. And I waited for the kids to pop up and be like, oh my God, what was that? Nope. Totally slept through it. Really? Um, any other quake we've had has been really minor, like maybe like a high three. I'm not even sure that we've had a four. Um, right. And it and it's always been that kind of thing where, you know, they just happen to be doing... And it's not like there's been a lot. I mean, it's literally, it's been a couple. Um, they've either been like, oh, in the car going somewhere or, mm-hmm. you know, in, in a position where they wouldn't really feel it. Right. Uh, not mm-hmm. like me where I'm sitting on the second floor of an office building and, you know, even something small, it's kind of like, oh, oh, that's a quake, you know? And I kind of hop yeah. up as quick as I can and I get to the doorway. I just had two flashbacks just now. One mm-hmm. was a childhood story. I don't know so much if I remember it or if I just remember like mom and you telling me about it. But maybe I was sleeping in the bunk bed and fell out of it during an earthquake, but kept sleeping and it didn't wake. I didn't wake up. No, that wasn't during I, an earthquake. That was just you sleeping. But I just I fell out of it and just kept sleeping and I didn't wake yeah. up. Okay, okay. And then the other memory was, I don't know if you remember a place in San Francisco called the Exploratorium. Yes. But I think one of the weird and folks, I'm sure we've talked about the Exploratorium on previous episodes, but just to recap, it was like. It was almost like a science nerd amusement park. That's the best way I can describe it. Oh, definitely. Um, but anyway, um, I, I, one of the attractions or whatnot, I think, was like a weird room where the ground, the the floor of the room would shake like by different earthquakes. Mm-hmm. Like it would, like if you wanted to know what a four earthquake would feel like, you know, it would do a four earthquake. Yep. Oh gosh, I just remembered that. I don't know if yeah. you remember that, but no, I remember man. that very well. And in fact, yeah. the uh, uh, Perrin has experienced the modern version of that. Oh really? Okay, yes. that's pretty cool. Nice. Um, so he he has at least experienced that. Okay, okay. Now I've got to ask you. I got to ask your honest opinion on something. Hmm. Apparently, there were two rival made-for-TV movies produced in the years after the earthquake, uh, based on uh, the earthquake. One was 1990s After the Shock, starring Yafet Koto and Rue McClanahan. And one was 1993's Miracle on Interstate 880, starring Sandy Duncan and David Morse, among others. Oh, good uh, heavens. The title alone, I'm like, really? Which, yeah. yeah which, Have you which driven sounds, 880? Which sounds more painful to watch? <laughs> I just can't decide. <laughs> I mean, I, I am a big Rue McClanahan fan, so I'm kind of tempted to watch that one on the YouTube, but... Anything called Miracle on Interstate 880, I mean, it almost sounds like a really messed up Christmas movie. You know what I mean? Like Miracle on 34th Street, Miracle on Interstate 880. You know what I mean? I don't know. But um, yeah, boy, you know, I tell you what, if you can, if you can find links to both of them, I will toss them in uh the show notes and and, uh, listeners, if they wish to terrorize themselves, they can. Yes, Um, please, please. Please let us know. I'm not sure if I could like actually survive watching both of them, but you know, maybe some of our listeners uh, can fill us in. Um, yeah, I honestly, I had no idea there were yeah made for TV movies based on events of the '89 quake. That is kind of uh, that's kind of crazy. 
But there was weird stuff like that. There like there were like t-shirts too, weren't there? Yes, and we we had uh we each had an I survived the 89 quake t-shirt. That's crazy. Uh, That's a uh, man. Yeah. That but that was one of those things that I remember it was uh if i remember correctly i'm kind of picturing it right now i don't think we have any pictures of us wearing them i think it was mm-hmm. a white t-shirt okay. with mostly black text and i think 1989 was done in orange wow or that's maybe a trip. quake was done in orange i don't remember man you know i do know that we do have uh at least one or two childhood photos of us wearing t-shirts that say i survived the 1980 earthquake Right. And I remember when I found those photos, I yes. was blown away because I didn't first for the first thing, I didn't realize there was a Northern California earthquake in 1980 that merited a T-shirt. Um, and it was really weird because based on the photos, I've got to be a good seven or eight years old in those photos and the shirt fits. So I must have been like two when the earthquake happened. So did we get these at a Goodwill years later or did we like, did mom buy them at the time and wait for us to grow into them? It's like a really weird timeline situation. I can't quite I'm, figure out. I'm honestly not sure. I, I would not be surprised if it was a thrift store find. Yeah, totally. Anyway. Um, but that is, yeah, that is, that is interesting. But yeah, we had the t-shirts um, oh. and <laughs> all the merchandise. I, yeah. All the merchandise. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know that we had all the merchandise, but we did have those. Yeah, um, right, right. Don't remember where we got them. Mm. It sounds like the kind of thing that would have been sold like on a street corner almost, you know? Right. Yeah. Um, maybe mom or dad could chime in and see if they remember that. But um, I do know that the very next day, October 18th, schools were canceled. Oh, that's cool. For us. Now, mom nice. and dad still had to work. Um, so we got taken to our aunt Carol's house and, and got to just basically spend the day at her house. Oh, that's cool. Um, and then, uh, the next day, the 19th schools were reopened. I think they probably just took that day to just check everything over. Right. Yeah. And make sure that it was safe, Mm -hmm. uh, for, for kids to be in class. Um, but yeah, I mean, I remember getting back to school and in, Oh, I don't remember what class it was, but, you know, there was definitely some, some journaling and essay writing on, you know, our experiences. Um, I think they, they kind of were, um, at least attempting to do some sort of counseling for people to kind of like process having just gone through this, uh, this big earthquake. Right. Right. In fact, um, talking about, um, just the stuff that happened and where we were when it, when it happened. Um, I know Amber has told her story, um, to me at least, uh, about where she was when the quake hit and she was over at a friend's house out by the pool. Okay. Um, in Saratoga. Uh huh. So of course, again, Saratoga is closer to the Santa Cruz mountains than San Jose. It's not in the mountains necessarily, but it's right up against the, the foot of the mountains kind of near Los Gatos. If you're looking at a map, um, and yeah, she says, you know, the shaking probably put about half the water that was in this pool out of the pool. Yeah. Yikes. Like the waves it, were big. Yeah. Oh, well, that's pretty scary. Yeah. Um, that is one of those things you know, that is like, if I had an experience, a big earthquake, I'd like to just see what that looked like. I, re- I really kind of kicked myself because God bless her grandma Marge. I mean, I can remember her telling me stories that about how her, her people 
what their experiences were like uh, in the Bay Area in 1906 with that earthquake. And I wish I I kick myself now. I you know I didn't have the foresight to pull out a tape recorder or take notes or and I really don't remember these stories very well. You know what I mean? But well, and I know uh, she wasn't alive for it, so she must have been talking about you know her parents and grandparents. Yeah, the stories that she heard from her relatives and what they told gotcha. her kind of thing. You know what I mean? Yeah. Gotcha. So. Gotcha. Jeez, I'm sure I'm sure somebody knows <laughs> or nobody knows. <laughs> Possibly. <laughs> Um, but you know, you know, what is worth asking? And I want to get your opinion on this because I feel like the whole concept of earthquake weather, uh, really kind of Mm. took a foothold, um, with the 89 quake, you know, because for, for being mid October, I mean, California, Northern California, at least always kind of goes through what is often referred to as an Indian summer. You know, you start to cool off a little bit. Uh, as fall starts and then there's like this one last gasp of warm weather and then we slip into fall now obviously climate change may change that a bit but i think that day something did feel different about the weather it was it was possibly a little balmy it was i think it was only about 75 degrees um you know maybe maybe a little bit warmer where we were because i think it was 75 at candlestick is where i i get that information um, but what do you think? Do you think earthquake weather is a thing? Um, uh, you know, I don't know. I mean, uh, um, I'm going to say yes. I'm going to say yeah. yes. And I mean, I'm going to, that's probably the, the harder position to defend, but, um, I don't know. I think there's, I think there's something to be said for collective communal beliefs in the sense that, I mean, when you say earthquake weather, that's something that, presumably predates internet memes and things like that. So there must've been people who, you know, different communities, different times, different places kind of feel that way. Um, I mean, it's difficult to say because of course, you know, earthquakes are so, you know, universal around the earth in different climate zones. Mm -hmm. I mean, you're going to get them in like subarctic Alaska and also equatorial places um so but for california sure i think so um well and it's funny because i think you touched on something that might actually make more sense you're you're talking about the entire community feeling a certain way um, yeah and i'm i'm going to go a little bit more woo but i'm i'm embracing the woo in 2019 um okay. Let's what, Let's if, do it. what if what that if that entire community who is going gosh, this kind of feels like earthquake weather. Maybe are they collectively feeling without realizing it, the energy building in the earth, in the tectonic plates that's getting Ah. ready to let go and they don't know what to pin that on. Sure. And so they think to pin it on the weather. Yeah. I mean, I mean, from, from what little I know about geology and, you know, paranormal television documentaries, I mean, there is that, whole thing about you know stresses in the crust of the earth you know if you put pressure on like quartz crystals it'll actually generate electricity the p right. i think it's called piezoelectric effects that's you know? exactly what it's called i think some people have claimed that that might be the source of some sightings of like earth lights or even ufos things like mm-hmm. that um yeah I, I think there's something to say for that i think i think humans and animals are more in tune with the electromagnetic the electromagnetic spectrum than 
we might let on to believe. I mean, I think that I think that animals. I think there's a huge corpus of testimony of people experiencing animals that are behaving strangely, or as we've seen with the case of Jim Berkland, pets running away before natural disasters. So mm-hmm. there's almost like a a fourth sense, and it's it's. I think it's you know when you think about animals that you know, can migrate thousands of miles based on things like the magnetic field of the earth and things like that. I I think it's, I think it's reasonable to believe that there might be something there, you know? Um, uh, yeah, I think that that's, um, uh, I don't think it's supernatural. I think there's a word preternatural that describes Mm. things that, you know, probably have a natural explanation, but we just haven't figured out yet. So I think it, it would probably, I think there's something to that. I think so. Yeah. I'd All right. That. Now that I being can... said, you know, I mean, it's it, uh, um, I probably wouldn't be able to to use that that collective knowledge, you know, in, in an effective manner to to predict these things. But um, oh no, I, I I couldn't either. Yeah, um, I wish I could. <laughs> but it's kind of crazy when you you know to go back to the baseball thing though to think about how you know there must have been players on both teams that had they not, you know, played at their top ability during the, you know, the league championship series, like, you know, if, if the Giants and the A's had not made it to the World Series, if it mm-hmm. was some other teams, I mean, you think about how much higher the death toll would have been and how that would have had such a potential impact on the future. Different generations never born, people maybe never have been born that would go on to you know, cure a disease or invent something amazing or get elected president, you know, and here you have some, now you're thinking, yeah, here you have some baseball player that had they not, you know, you know, pitched that great game, you know, all these lives would have been lost. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I mean, that's kind of, that's kind of a trippy thing when you think about that a little bit. Oh yeah. That's definitely some alternate universe, uh, wild thinking. Yeah. Yeah. Or, or even something as mundane as, you know, did the umpire make the right, call you know what i'm saying yeah right Uh, right right if you are a listener to our podcast and a fan of baseball history please feel free to chime in and let us know if there was some sort of amazing thing uh for the giants or the a's to win their respective pennants that you know those pennant wins would have hinged on a single kind of uh baseball event or a a close game i don't know if either one of those games went to game seven but um that would have been kind of interesting to think about you know what i mean Mm -hmm. i don't know yeah, the game, sure. the, the game that hundreds of lives depended upon, kind of thing. I don't know. It's weird. <laughs> oh, I got a feeling that's a, that's a thought that's going to keep you up tonight. Yeah, totally. You know. Ugh. Oh. Well, well, on on that rather weird and kind of spooky note for a rather spooky month, is, do you have anything else from '89 that we can think of? Just you know, I think it's um, I think it's kind of interesting. I know that we're gonna. This is this. Feel free to edit this out of the episode. What I'm about to say might be a little bit of a spoiler alert, but um, just a heads up: in a in a, about two months, we'll be doing an episode featuring a fair amount of audio from some old family home movies. One of which includes um, a little clip of us talking briefly about the '89 earthquake. So, um, uh, and this was footage recorded just a few months after the '89 earthquake. So. Maybe we'll be able to, to swing around again to this topic a little bit and uh, revisit it for a few minutes. Um, yeah, for sure. Cool. For sure. Yeah, our, our December uh, episode is um, it's going to be interesting. 
Uh, it's going to be quite the episode and it's going to be a crap ton to edit. So I'm glad I'm going to be kind of <laughs> off from work at the end of the year so I can take some time to, to do this. Yes, it's going to be definitely a, uh, a Taylor, um, labor intensive episode, which I yeah. feel bad about. Um, nah. oh, well, don't worry about it. I like doing it. Oh, cool. I like doing it. Well, next time on if memory serves, we are talking about a very special place. Uh, to our entire family, uh, a place called the Gaslighter Theater. We're also going to take the opportunity uh, in that episode to celebrate our parents' 50th wedding anniversary. Holy uh, cats, 50 years, Earth years? Yes, 50 Earth years, not not oh 50 my. years on Lanulos or oh, uh, Serpo or other planets I've been reading about lately. Holy cats, oh my goodness gracious. Well, this is going to be great. I can't wait for this episode, man. Yeah, this this will oh. be neat. Um, you came across a particularly amazing um, uh, resource, I should say, oh. when it comes to when it comes to this. Um, and I, I have some Incredible. particular memories of my own of this theater, uh, so I'm I'm very excited to be talking about that. And I think that's a great suggestion that you oh, made about nice. an hour and a half ago. <clears throat> Sweet, I can't wait. Yeah. Well, in the meantime, you can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Memory Serves Pod. You can follow me on Twitter at Blue Box UFO, and you can follow Seb at Clan McMuffin. Aye, indeed. Uh, subscribe to us on what we still call iTunes and Stitcher and heck, wherever you consume podcasts. Just search for If Memory Serves. We are also on Spotify, uh, along with many other podcasts, if that's where you like to consume them. Um, and please, like we said, rate and review us as well. It doesn't have to be a five star, but apparently everybody wants that because that is what helps drive up rankings and get people noticed. But you know what would help us even get noticed even more? Share us with your friends. Word of mouth goes a huge way into yes. building an audience. And we appreciate what you guys are doing to help propagate us out like those waves of an earthquake <laughs> uh if you're so inclined subscribe to us on soundcloud soundcloud.com slash the n-o-t-l-g and you will get all the shows uh from the network uh through that so you can hear me on podcastica uh, if you're into wrestling there is tornado tag radio if you're into basically comics and television there's bam pow tv whole bunch of stuff um go on over to notlg.spreadshirt.com and get yourself one of our sweet sweet rad uh if memory serves shirts and um if you can help us out monetarily because apparently it actually costs money to get hosted on spotify and stuff like that and you're able to we appreciate it over at patreon.com slash notlg we'd be remiss if we didn't also shout out and point you toward Morgan Willis, who does our intro and outro music. You can check him out on Facebook. Uh, his name's all in caps, Morgan Willis. You can't miss it. He's on Twitter, Morgan Willis 82, and also on SoundCloud. Well, that is it for us for October. We hope you uh, stay safe. If you're in California and you don't have a, um, a preparedness kit, definitely think about getting one um if you have your own memories of the 89 earthquake please by all means share them with us on our facebook or on our twitter we would we would love to uh share in those memories and with that we will see you next time good night stay safe folks
did it, man. We survived. We survived the 89 earthquake. We did. Oh, this is great.